This is the Athletic Lab Sport Performance Podcast, episode number 11. Episode 11 features James Baker. James is the PE teacher and strength and conditioning coach for St. Peter's High School in Gloucestershire, UK. At the school, James has developed the elite performance pathway for the development of youth athletes. James is also the owner of Performance, a performance company to support the continued development of coaches. We hope you enjoy this episode and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. James, thanks for coming on to the Athletic Lab Sport Performance Podcast. I appreciate the time uh, today. Uh, thanks, John, for having me on. It's, um, it's a real pleasure to, to get the opportunity to have a chat with you and, and you know, discuss some of the things that we're up to at the moment. Awesome. So tell, tell some of the listeners about your background and how you got started um, you know, in the school that you're in and in doing what you're doing. Sure. So... Um, I did my uh, bachelor's degree in sport and exercise science, started back in 2003 and finished finished up in 2006 and at that point in time I wasn't really too clear what I wanted to do but um, after a bit of time travelling, I, 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 uh, a relative of mine had got into strength and conditioning and I was like, oh that, that, that looks like a route that really kind of sued me so I, I started undertaking the uh, UK SCA um, strength and conditioning accreditation and I was I was gaining experience working with um, a really great coach um, a guy called Ed Archer um, and I started working with, with uh, young athletes there and specifically we were working with a lot of tennis players at the school where I'm actually working now full time so we were we were delivering youth S&C sessions to them a couple of times a week and Ed really kind of opened my eyes to what could be done with 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 young athletes and, and kind of what the, the current research was saying but Ed you know Ed's a guy who was ahead of his time on that front and, and was you know really really leading on, on on pushing this sort of stuff forward so he he started the athlete academy and i started working full-time for him there um, and it was during the time working with the athlete academy that we'd got into working in a number of schools including st peter's where i am now um, so we had um, we were probably operating i think it was 12 schools in the in the in the county that we're in at the moment gloucestershire um, and that we were running programs but there was, you know, there were certain frustrations with with running those programs in terms of, you know, we were it was a long term athlete development program that we were trying to run, but you know things happened um, in terms of funding, you know, government changed funding for schools and uh, SSCOs, which were school sports coordinators, who were the people we were were kind of our go to people to get the programs set up. Everything got cut, um, so the the programs that we were planning for the long term became short term. Um, and you know things weren't we weren't getting the consistency that we knew, and I'm sure you guys know, and a lot of the listeners will know that you need to kind of you know build these athletes over a over a long period of time. Um, so from after after a while with the athlete academy, I, I set up performance on my own, and whilst we're now in the in a the, the form of a very much an education business um, we at the time it was very much coaching orientated and I was doing a lot of stuff privately with young athletes and it was during the the sort of transition period from the athlete academy to to performance that there was um, the opportunity came up with St Peter's to, to train as a as a PE teacher um, and have the opportunity to develop the what we now know as the elite performance pathway um, program our long-term athlete development system at the school um, and it, it, that was kind of how we've got to where we are um, and now we're four years down the line of running that program we're in its, four, we're in its fourth academic year um, and, and things have moved on um, and we've, we've kind of got the consistency that we we didn't have when we were working externally which has been which has been great 
Yeah, and it's been almost a year. I heard you speak a while back. Uh, we hosted the Performance High Performance Athletic Conference, um, which was fantastic. And you kind of stuck around afterward and, and spoke to our staff. And you talked a lot about the model you've implemented with St. Peter's. Um, yeah. And the, U, the, the U.S. physical education system is, is nearly non-existent at this point. Um, so, you know, talk a little bit about uh, the model you've implemented um, yeah. and the process of getting it started. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's something that's grown really quite slowly over time. I say slowly. I mean, the, the numbers of cute people involved have have increased quite rapidly when we when we started it, and, and it's continued to grow over those those sort of four years. So. Um, I mean, how, how the program runs is it in 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 UK schools we have uh, what is known as gifted and talented, and, and pupils can be identified as gifted and talented in any subject. So we have gifted and talented musicians, um, people involved in performing arts, drama, uh, English, mathematics, all of those things, um, sport as well being one of them. So it was something which gifted and talented when we were going in uh, as external coaches a lot of the time these kids were just kind of on a register and identified as gifted and talented but really what they got was only sort of one-off sessions you know they get a one-off session with a professional player who'd come in and do some work with them or you know you get these one-off days where they would they would get, have people like us at the athletic academy at the time go in and do some coaching but there wasn't anything really that's systematic in place to really help these young athletes achieve and prepare for prepare for professional sports. So, what we've implemented at the school was really about providing a initially the remit was to provide a really credible, gifted, and talented pathway. So that is what we we are kind of targeted at in with the EPP itself is really supporting the. the the, you know, say the top ten percent of our student population at the school, um, and and part of that process is, you know, starting to address some of you know the physical physical limitations from from modern lifestyles, and you know, starting to try and avoid problems that have been caused but caused by early specialisation. You know what we were starting to see, and, and we still see with some of the kids coming through, is that they're tremendously skillful with a football at their feet or. Um, you know, with a rugby ball in their hands or a netball, whatever it may be. But sometimes there is this this physical, the physical levels are not up with not up with the technical skill levels. Um, so what we've tried to implement is this system now where we are, you know, building them physically and in some cases backfilling what they didn't get at a primary school level. So you know, primary school PE provision is. Um, is varied. It's often outsourced in the UK to other companies um, that, that come in and deliver. And they are, in some cases, they're very good coaches. In some cases, they're maybe not so well trained coaches. But the Olympic legacy from the London 2012 Games has has thrown up these pots of funding now for primary schools to invest in physical education, um, and and they do so in different ways and how they choose to do so. But what we're seeing is the kids that are coming through from a primary, from our primary school feeder schools, and and you know, are not at a level physically that they were previously. So, the EPP is based around building that that physical capacity, um, and it is broadening beyond the physical as we, you know, identify the importance of the psychological aspects, the nutritional and the lifestyle factors too. But in terms of the the system and the the levels that are, are there within it, we have pretty much a three level system now we've kind of simplified a little bit over the last 12 months or so um, and we start with our foundation level um, and the focus on this part is really about moving well and building a, a broad base of movement skills and if we get the the kids when they enter they'll be at this phase between sort of 11 to 13 years old so what we would call year 7 year and, and year 8 um, and the focus there is on, you know, building movement competency through body weight movements, the basics, 
of physical literacy, squatting, lunging, pushing, pulling, hinging, bracing, rotating, you know, being able to jump, leap, hop in multiple planes, um, you know, developing their capacities, you know, rebound as well. We cover uh, a broad spectrum of um, sports, gen- what we call sports generic movement skills, uh, movement skills that occur across a range of sports, cutting, decelerating, moving laterally, moving to the rear. And so we try and build this broad base, but we also incorporate elements there, a, a games-based agility work, so just having some open and reactive stuff that's a little bit more engaging. Um, and we also then have um, elements of basic gymnastic work, so body control, body management, looking at how they build, you know, looking at inverted balances, headstands, handstands. Uh, as I say, really looking to broaden the, the basic range of skills that they have and then progressing up from there in our 14 to 16 uh, age range we we have what we call our, our athletic development phase and the focus is still on moving well but now we're looking at developing through those basic movements strength with increasing load so we're looking to drive up the relative strength levels in the major strength exercises squat deadlift bench pull up and lunge step up all those things um, and making sure that in the first stages of that development phase it's about nailing the technique with those with those with those movements under lower loads and then gradually progressing them and then the complexity we focus on four key areas really um, and those are the ones that are identified in uh, Rodri Lloyd and John Oliver's um, youth physical development model um, for the age range it's strength power speed and agility so we we focus on those four areas um and we're looking at then you know the jumping and plyometric work becomes a little bit more more advanced we start to bring in olympic lifting technique um, and and where necessary we do some energy system development stuff um and also through this age sort of 13 14 15 there's obviously the the major growth spurt that boys go through and it's slightly younger usually in our foundation phase for girls um, when they're 11 or 12, they typically go through the growth spurt. So we have to address the growth-related issues and, and obviously be aware of when they're passing through peak height velocity and, and, and adjust training accordingly. And then the top tier of our program is our 16 to 18 year group. Um, and that, that is what we classify as the performance level of the program. Now, we don't have a huge number of athletes that I think qualify to be in that yet. But I think within the next couple of years, um, there will be we will have a, a higher number as the as they as they've seen through longer sorts of training. But at that point, we've we've got two, probably two or three that are you know warranting being included in that. Um, you know, super high relative strength levels, competent Olympic lifters, doing advanced work with plyometrics. Um, we do work with the K box velocity based training with some of those guys and to sort of push them on to the next level. So that's a kind of very broad overview of, of what we of what we do. And as I say, it's something that has evolved very slowly over time. Um, we started out with just five, five guys and girls five years ago, four years ago. Um, and it was through the process of getting decent results and seeing them change physically that we got this huge engagement from the students um, and it was that and the impact that it had for them that really got the staff within the PE department to buy in and then from there it was a case of starting to convince people uh, in other positions within the school not directly related to sport that this was something that we needed to push forward and, and, and see evolve and integrate further into the curriculum which is kind of where we are now um, and actually what we've, what we've ended up with is whilst we have the elite performance pathway in sport it's now being moved into other areas of the school so we've got an elite performance pathway in drama and music as well so it's been great to see that kind of evolution over, over time. Yeah, it sounds like a, a fantastic system that you guys have going over there. One, and one question uh, kind of specifically to that is you broke down the uh, age groups that you typically yeah. have. 
Now, uh, what what would uh, what would you do, or what would happen if there was an athlete that was overperforming or underperforming in a certain age bracket? Uh, yeah. Would would they be either held back or moved up based on that, or are you trying to stick a lot of athletes within the same age bracket that they should be in? I mean, the, I mean, we talk about the chronological age brackets there within the system, and I say that that is where they are typically. Um, and and the reason we're kind of fixed with those is is really down to the timetabling of the lessons. So because we are, we see the year, we see them as a as a school year group. So you know, chronologically, they are all that age. The reality is when you look at them with the detail and we're doing the growth and maturation assessment. So we use uh, the Merward method of assessing growth and maturation. So we take height, sitting height and weight. Um, and then there's people far cleverer than me that have come up with spreadsheets and equations that enable us to kind of see where they are in relation to that growth spurt. I mean, we can see guys that are in the, you know, they're 11 to 13 in terms of their chronological age. But, you know, in terms of their biological age, they're probably, you know, the equivalent of a 15-year-old. You know, they could be two or two years plus or minus their their sort of chronological age. In some cases, you know, there or thereabouts. So those guys, we, you know, we whilst we're looking at them in groups, we're then now starting to to look at okay, well, that guy is 13, but he is already post peak height velocity. So we need to train him a little bit differently to the 13-year-old who's still a year and a half off the peak height velocity because they're going to adapt differently to the training with the changes. You know, they're, they're, they're different from a hormonal perspective, from a muscular perspective. So, you know, we, we have to adapt the training a little bit within those sessions. So we have guys that are much further on and, and we, we try to push those on. Um, and we try and group those guys together, um, and we also try and group them together based on how well they're moving. Because sometimes we have guys that are much more uh, physically mature, but because of the impact of growing, they've grown quickly or whatever, they've regressed in terms of the quality of their movement. So we can't sure. actually push them so much. We have to. Uh, I mean, we've got a group at the moment of 14, 15 year olds where. You know, we're having to do a lot of work from a, a flexibility and mobility perspective. So we try as much as possible to individualize and, and, and kind of group people into buckets where they have similar issues. And we do try and push them on. If, the, if they're guys that are performing at a super high level, then we, we, we try and give them more. We, it's not like a one-size-fits-all program, but the, it obviously becomes quite a challenge logistically with we have quite large groups um, in terms of well, the group we had this afternoon was two two year groups but we had 30, 30 kids roughly to train in the gym and three members of staff trying to, to manage that so we do what we can to, to make sure that we're getting people what they, what they need to be doing um, within the obviously restrictions of that group environment yeah that that makes a lot of sense so you would say you know with any given group maybe 90 percent are probably in the same level and then you've got maybe five percent anomalies on either side or so yes yeah you could you could yeah you could probably say that so i mean if you look to our you know the way the way people move is not that different is it we all we all move in similar ways right we just try you know there are just some people move a little bit more freely and we, we have a maybe a greater selection of exercises with them um, and there's some that to, to, to progress them you know we have to you know, be a little bit more specific and selective with what we do to make sure that we're not causing any harm so yeah there's a there's a variance um, definitely uh, but like you say I think there's more similarities and differences in in most cases and yeah, and yeah, so is your, reflects that. is your uh, goal with, with these individuals and groups, is it, it, it might be different with each group, but is it to prepare them for 
academy sports, for future life, for university, or a combination of all of those? I mean, I think, you know, if we're realistic about the population that we're, um, you know, that we're dealing with, you know, not all of them are going to be professional sports people. You know, there's not that, the, the percentage of people that are successful is rarely low, is relatively low, isn't it? So, yeah. I mean, we're realistic about our outcomes um, and, and we, we try to prepare our athletes from a psychological perspective in the same way. You know, we'd love them all to go on for, to professional sports careers, but, you know, we, you know, we accept that all of those outcomes that you're talking about, if they end up at university on a scholarship, that's a fantastic outcome. You know, if they end up in a professional academy with a football club or a rugby club or netball, or we've got women's super uh, super league rugby on our doorstep now in Gloucestershire, uh, which has just been formed. You know, a great a great avenue for the girls to pursue. So, you know, I think from from our perspective, and we we've got examples of of kids now that have taken all of those different routes. So we've got we've had two or three from the school go out to U.S. colleges. So we've had a one one last year went to I think they're in Colorado at the uh, the college in Colorado um, on a tennis scholarship. We've uh, another lad three or four years ago that I worked with ended up at the University of Illinois Chicago did a four year program out there on a on a great scholarship. We've got we've had two guys go on professional football scholarships in the last twelve months. Uh, one's just recently been signed and I think there's probably another girl who will take that route now this year as well um, and we've got five guys in the Gloucester Rugby Under 18s Academy um, and one last year signed a full-time senior contract so we've got people taking all of those but then we've also got the guys who aren't necessarily competing at a super high level anymore but what they are like you say they're fit for life you know they've, they've got training skills they know how to train and you know they and there's some that I see that I don't see now in terms of uh, EPP sessions but I still see them in and around the gym and, and training much better than I was certainly at the age they are mm-hmm. um, looking with good form and you know decent training and not just bench pressing and yeah. bicep curling that I was doing at 16, 17 yeah. in, uh, yeah. in the gym so you know I, I see all of those things as good outcomes and um, you know the more people we can get with those outcomes. I mean, certainly the major aim is to, as I said at the beginning, is a, we do view it as a, our gifted and talented pathway. So we are trying to prepare them for that transition to high-level sport, whether that is a university or an academy. Um, you know, that is one of our major, major aims. And, and certainly what we're seeing at the moment is we're enabling them to make that transition more smoothly I mean I, I, I've said in other interviews that I've, I've done before it, is that I remember being I was a, 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 a fairly decent rugby player in that I played at a, a, a rugby academy the Gloucester Rugby Academy um, but when I went there at 17 I didn't have the training skills to cope, in, cope that well in that environment there were boys that were just miles ahead of me who were much better prepared so to, uh, I, I always look back at that time and I think, well, what if I had that training and I did have those training skills? You know, I can remember being 17, 17 or 18 and learning to clean and jerk with a 25 kilo bar and um, discs cut out of MDF fiberboard, you mm-hmm. know, because I, I couldn't get the technique with with any kind of load on, you know, and I compare that now to one of our, we've got uh, an 18 year old, actually 17, 18 year old uh, girl, rugby player. She cleans 80 kilos at a 75 kilo body weight (laughs) at the same age I was doing it with MDF fiberboard discs, you know, (laughs) and that to me is insane. You know, I'm like, that now this is where we're where we're headed and I think you know I, I mentioned earlier on that you know we've got kids that are and I'm sure with the, the decreasing levels of, of, of PE and I know from conversations with Mike you know there are people who are very physically illiterate in the United States and the same we are here 
but I think we're in a we're we're heading towards a point now with some of these kids with the training that we've done is there the the spectrum is much wider than when we were you know at school people say like oh they don't make kids like they used to you know and I think that is true in that we've got a lot that are at a lower level physically but if you look up the continuum we've got some young athletes that are far superior in in certain ways to anything like that that me and my peers were able to do in terms of from a strength and power perspective so i think we're you know we're heading towards quite an interesting time if we can get more and more people more and more children exposed to good training that he's progressed properly over time you know we could have some phenomenal athletes heading heading in some good places yeah and so this kind of uh, piggybacks off of what what you had just said is uh, you know we uh, many many coaches understand the fact that youth resistance training is not harmful um, and often an important part of their development if done well um, so it, talk about a little bit of how you kind of broke those barriers with maybe some parents or even the government to get that program started because I think that is a big barrier for coaches in the U.S. but also maybe around yeah. the world as well. I mean, I think I think we're we're in it we're in an, uh, an era now where it's a lot easier to convince people because we've got the the science and the research to back up what we're doing, and I think that's what I've always been very very clear on. Um, from the beginning is that the, what we do is research based um, and we've got the research to hand and we, are, we have openly engaged with parents um, members of staff senior leadership team within school the governors I've presented to all of those people and explained and shown the program in all its detail the overviews of our annual plans the progressions within the scheme of work you know working examples of what we've seen case in, in terms of case studies you know we've opened the doors completely and, and have parents and groups come in and look at live sessions um, and given them the opportunity to talk to us and ask about you know what we've done uh, what we're doing and why we do it and you know I, I've done presentations where parents have said like you know I'm, I'm not sure about this can you send me the research like, yeah of course you know and we use things that are readily available like the UKCA's position statement on resistance training that's been pulled together by great guys like Rodri Lloyd uh, Avery Fagenbaum Greg Meyer uh, John Oliver Ian Jeffries and, and a whole host of other names that I'm, I'm missing out and doing them an injustice a little bit but those guys who've done the research and it's there clear as day in black and white that you know this is safe if it's done properly you know and there are clear benefits that I think all parents you know would would like for um, their their kids you know and, and you know you, you, to be honest I mean I was at a parent one of the reasons why I couldn't do the podcast yesterday I was at a parents evening till uh, half past eight having a chat to all the various parents that are involved in our foundation stage program in year seven, so 11 and 12 years old. And I had that question from probably three parents of 12 that said, you know, is this safe? I'm, you know, when I was a kid, we weren't lifting weights. But, you know, with experience and I'm confident in what we're doing, I can tell them, you know, we're not going to do anything that's going to harm your children they can understand that you know a part of what we were going through with them last night was the movement competency side so we do like a five-point technical assessment in the major movements with them at the foundation stage so we'll look at the squat the push the lunge the pull the hinge and the brace and I say to them like look technically your son or your daughter looks looks great they are in a position where we can we can push on we don't see many movement issues you know we can start building volume again body weight without being too concerned and I think when they understand the progressions um, of the system so you know we, we have a body weight to barbell progression that incorporates low and soft resistance uh, with bands and power bags and those sorts of things before they really get near anything of significant load and making I you know, kind of say to them like there's only so far you can go with with body weight you know, and then and then your 
your son or daughter is ready to go on and what we've got are certain gateway tests which we we look at to say you know from research by uh, Dan Baker his body weight strength assessment says if you score more than 18 out of 30 you are probably ready for barbell training so we have things like that that kind of support what we do but I think the biggest thing is just being open uh, with what you're doing um, and be prepared to take those questions and then have your have your research and your your kind of case studies I mean we're very fortunate now that we've got a whole host of walking talking case studies um, and we use our we another thing we do is we do have the kids around on open evenings that are you know some of our well-trained guys and we have them to talk to parents about what is done for them um, and I guess we're in that fortunate position but I think being as open and transparent as possible has, has really helped um, as from that perspective. Yeah, um, so to go back on the, the program, as, uh, mm -hmm. what, what are some of the tests that you guys are using in your program and, and how often are you testing your students? Um, well, I mean, what we try, the, it, it varies really depending on, on the age group and, the, and in the same way that our training evolves, so does our testing sure. system. Yeah. Um, so as we go up, we use more advanced and more detailed stuff, as partly because we get more time with them, and we can and we can kind of do that. But we we tend to use the confines of the academic year, so we test pretty much at the well, we start at the start of year and then the end of each term, which is usually sort of every three months, and then we will have. Um, in terms of a uh, kind of an end of term test but then we will have the timing system and jump mats out at, at various times within within that and what kind of we went through a stage where we had like an absolute ton of tests that we were doing with all the age groups and we were kind of doing we were doing squat jump cat movement jump depth jump a change of direction test an illinois oblique test uh, a standing broad jump, a 10 meter sprint, a 20 meter sprint, height, weight, and it's just taking an absolute age to get anywhere. Um, you know, we were losing weeks and weeks trying to get through these groups of like 30 kids. So what we've done is we try, we've tried to simplify a core batch of tests that we can use across the age groups. Um, and the main things that we're interested in, obviously, if we look at if we're looking at the YPD model, it is speed, power agility um, and strength so we've got we use a counter movement jump with all groups we use a 20 meter sprint with all groups um, I'd like to do longer distance stuff but in terms of having a consistent surface and area to run that we we, we've only got a, a sports hall which is about 30 meters long and um, I don't think the schools are too keen on me flying flying kids into crash mats on the wall too much so we kind of stick with the 20 meter um, the 20 meter sprint and then as uh, space and surfaces become more consistent when the weather improves we, we do test over some longer distances through the summer we do a, a bit of an aerobic fitness assessment so we use like a bleep test or in some groups we've used 30-15 intermittent tests um, and, and looked at just ensuring really at that level that they've got a sufficient aerobic base to be able to perform we, we don't do a lot of work aerobically unless there is a you know a specific need but then we would tend to prescribe that to be done outside of the sessions because the majority of our kids are very fit they play a lot of you know a lot of sports so our base to, to, to simplify that art so our basic test is we have a some form of strength test across all groups counter movement jump 20 meter sprint and an aerobic test and then our strength test is really kind of what evolves through through the program so at the basic level when they've just started we're looking at movement competency five point assessment and can they do you know a relatively low volume of of those movements so we're, we want them to be able to repeat that movement 10 times with good form um, as they are more consistent with that we use dan baker's body weight strength test um, which is six exercises and then he's got it split out in levels and you get a certain number of points for a certain number of repetitions in a in a given time frame um, and then as they graduate out of that if you like uh, when they've when they've passed that then we just start using more 
RM testing um, in in the major lifts and, and look to see those numbers go up and that's predominantly through our our development our yeah. development phase yeah. uh, and then in the performance level we we have the same batch of tests uh, but we're also using um, more depth jumps we've been using uh, with some of them K-Box uh, power test looking at the eccentric capacities of the athlete um, and you know, using some velocity-based training measures with the push bands, so looking at sort of peak speeds that they're able to use, and starting to starting to toy with the force velocity profiling. And one of our interns has used the um, My Sprint app in the last few months, looking at the looking at the, the force velocity profiles in the sprint, which has been quite interesting. And so we're exploring uh, different avenues in in terms of things to 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 integrate. But we've kind of settled on that that core of four tests which we can do consistently across across all the year groups and, and what I'm really interested in doing is looking at looking at that data then over the course of you know the next five to seven years probably and, and, and you know be able to reflect on it and, and pull out some hopefully some interesting information yeah and, and one thing that I think I missed uh, asking or maybe I just miss and didn't hear it is uh, how often do you train your um, your school age athletes, and then um, how long is the duration of each session that that you see them with? Uh, sorry, so that was duration of the sessions and and then frequency uh, during the week. And frequency. So we typically see our foundation groups at year seven and eight. We see them uh, what we are, the school operates on a two week timetable. So so we see them three times a fortnight from a from an SNC perspective on the EPP. Uh, but that's on top of what they do from core physical education. So they'll also have four core key lessons plus their kind of extracurricular sports where they're playing soccer, rugby or netball, hockey, etc. So they are our kids at our school that are doing all of this, they, you know, when I see the stats on people saying oh our kids at our school only get one hour a week I'm like whoa you know our kids are getting four times that in, in yeah. some weeks you know probably more with with all the stuff that we provide and um, so yeah at year seven and eight they we see them three times year nine at present is the anomaly of the groups because the in curriculum groups have been kind of coming up through what we call key stage three which is year seven eight and nine um, so next year that will be hopefully be integrated. We see so I only see the, the year nine group uh, for sort of thirty to forty minutes once a week because we do it in a lunchtime. Um, the fourteen to sixteens group we see we get five hours with them across a two week timetable. So we see them. So this afternoon we had a double lesson with them. So one hundred and fifty an hour and fifty minutes. Um, with them this afternoon so we run a, a kind of integrated approach on, a, on an afternoon and then in one of the two week timetables we'll see them so we see them tomorrow morning we, we've got that group back in um, and then at the top level of the program in the sixth form um, we have with our 16 to 18s we actually get 12 12 55 minute lessons across a two week timetable so we see them sort of five to six hours a week on f and that's spread across four days of the week so that's where we really can kind of go to town on on everything in terms of testing and you know manipulating the the programs to individual playing schedules and move training around whereas things are a little bit more fixed further down the program and we have to kind of rotate the emphasis a little bit around training where i'd much rather take a, a fully integrated approach with different types of training across the across the week yeah, and to go back, you, you mentioned this very early on in the interview is uh, you talk about integrating nutrition into your program. And yeah. I, I remember, at least I, I think I remember, that you guys did some cooking sessions and certain things yeah. in, in, the, uh, in the kitchen, which is really cool. Um, y you know, how, how often are you guys doing that and kind of what does that look like? Um, it's be, we're, we've been doing it once a fortnight with the sixth form 
groups. So the sixth form group. So that is our sixteenth to eighteenth. So every other Friday, we've been in the. We've been working with one of our food technology teachers, Miss um, Graves. She's been great in accommodating us into the into the cooking room on a Friday afternoon, and the and the boys have kind of loved that. So we've um, we've been that what we tend to do with that is we actually just sat down with the boys and we, we like said we did some lectures early in the year when when they were kind of in the heavy competing schedule we used a friday afternoon for an education session and we talked a lot about different different things you know things from a psychological perspective uh we we covered some some stuff around you know the type of mindset that you need and talked about we, we did some tutorial stuff one-to-one with goals and what they needed to achieve and you know, we just got some feedback from them on the program and what they what they really what, what what all of them kept coming up with questions on was the nutrition side and we just said right okay let's just rather than just talking about it because we've done a couple of sessions on it and we've done some food diaries we were like let's just get cooking let's let's get on let's get in the kitchen we'll pick some recipes you tell us what you want to eat what you want to learn to cook and, and, and we'll we'll find some decent recipes of things that you should be eating um, and um, it's just kind of gone from there really so we've cooked what did we cook the first week uh, we did sweet potato pancakes with eggs and bacon so we were given different breakfast options the week after we did like a, a huge warm avocado salad with cajun chicken um, and, and we had well, uh, must have been 15, 15 boys and girls in there you know cooking away and, and having a away at a time and they've kind of walked away in you know really inspired by that and hopefully you know they're, they're starting to make some better choices and you know having the skills to cook I think is a major limitation for, for a lot of young athletes you know and also you know they're restricted sometimes by their parents you know imagination or or own cooking skills and you know they're not the ones that do the shopping or stocking the cupboards so you know they eat what's there whereas if we can enlighten them sometimes they're going home and Hopefully, you know, changing parents' habits a little bit as well for the for the better. So that's been um, that's been good. I need to reminds me actually it's on my to do list. I need to pick the recipe for <laughs> for next for next Friday. Yeah. So um, it's uh. <laughs> it's good. Uh, we've also had like one of uh, a good friend of mine who who runs a um, a, a company. Uh, it's a supplement company called Nutrition X, but you know they they take a, they've got some really good guys on board there. He's come in and talked to uh, talk to them about the importance of getting food first, rather than um, you know going for supplements, which a lot some some young athletes over here certainly look at that option before you know looking at what they need to be eating. Um, you know they're they're jumping on the oh I need to get you know this protein shake or you know this explode shot or whatever. <laughs> You know, and and he was really good in that. You know, their one of their core values as a company is that food first. And he was like, "Look, you need to be eating right before you start taking stuff." And then, you know, obviously other important messages around, you know, the, uh, looking for products that are tested. You know, from a, a in terms batch tested in terms of, you know, performance enhancing substances sneaking in there in in and various other things so you know we're trying to educate them we know they're going to use those products at some stage and we just want to make sure that they're making the right choices so they you know nutrition x have been great in coming in and, and helping them to educate you know and actually a lot of the recipes we're stealing off their website because uh, one of their guys is um dr graham close who's uh, the england nutritionist and i think they've been pulling some great recipes together from their website so if people are looking for something decent for dinner when they listen to this go and check out the nutrition x blog it's um, full of good stuff yeah and uh you you uh mentioned um you know kids sometimes not having control over what they eat and i think that's mm. something that we see often as well is we can talk about it all day long but at the end of the day they go home and what's made is made and sometimes it's difficult so i think you know the the approach that you guys take is a, a really good one in just trying to give them the skills and the information as to how to do it if if they have the ability to um but uh have you have you noticed that athletes are really going home and cooking or making those changes or is it is it sometimes impossible 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, I mean, usually, usually, uh, I mean, in, in the past when I've done like some nutrition stuff and talk uh, and, and talks with, with groups at the school, it's usually at like the parents' evening, I hear about it and they're like, oh, so you're the teacher who's costed me like 20 pounds extra week on my food bill. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And they're like, no, it's okay. You know, we know it's, it's, it's good for them. But and they're like, oh, we need this much chicken every day. And they're like, you know how much that costs? And I'm like, yeah, I, I do know how much that costs. It's, it's not great, but, you know, they need to be putting the right stuff in their bodies. And, you know, with some of these kids, with the amount that they're training and stuff, it's it's really, really important. And, and, you know, some of them are probably undernourished for the amount that they do. So, you know, we, we, we hear little bits of, you know, anecdotally I guess we haven't got any hard numbers in terms of the impact but I, you know it's something that it, we probably need to follow up with a little bit more and, and, and sort of survey parents and, and the kids and look at whether they are actually using that um, there's certainly an awareness of the need uh, from a parental perspective in, in many cases and they ask like oh when do you talk about this can you you know all he eats is chocolate you know can you tell him he needs to eat <laughs> He needs to eat something else. And like, yeah, you know, we we will get those messages to them. And I think if we can start it lower down, um, obviously we're talking with 16 to 18s, but we've been doing it more so at the moment. We have previously done it with like 14 to 16s group. The challenge is obviously the logistics of the timetable and the availability of facilities, and still trying to get the training done. But you know, I think if we could get it earlier. Um, I'd love to do something which engage the parents at some point and maybe have like a, a parent um, chart with their kids doing something from a cooking perspective. I'd love to do some kind of workshop like that. So, you know, hopefully there are things that we can, we can kind of pull together and, you know, something we're working on is like a, a nutrition sort of homework sheet, if you like, um, to, to send home for things for them to cook and try with a with a range of things um, so smoothies you know things that can help them up their fruit and veg intake when you know kids can be reluctant to go near a piece of fruit or a, or a vegetable um, you know and have little things like that that they can just try and prompt them to try new things but I think finding ways to engage them is you've got to be a little bit creative and try different stuff. Yeah, I've, I've got a, uh, a current athlete right now, he's kind of mid-teens, and I ask him what he had for breakfast, he says cookie crisp, and then I mm. say, what did you have for lunch? He said a bag of chips. So we're, we're on the right track. <laughs> yeah, um, no, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's stuff like that, but, uh, you know, the other side that we get as well away from the nutrition is the sleep side. I've, yeah. I had one lad walking to training just after Christmas and I was like you look absolutely knackered what time did you go to bed last night bear in mind this is 9 o'clock in the morning we're training 9.30 he's like I went to sleep at like quarter to 6 this morning oh. I was like what were you what were you doing I thought you'd been on the Xbox or something like that but you know it's like he was on his mobile phone but what were you doing till that time of the morning you know, you're in no state to train and I think that's a, you know that's a that's a real issue, you know, you know, getting kids to switch off to sleep when they are literally surrounded by technology and bombarded by messages and social media. I think you know that's another you know another probably equally important frontier to tackle. And um, you know, some parents have got a handle on it, others haven't. You know, and I think we've got to kind of get that bit right and you know work on the education side on that perspective i don't know if you come across similar scenarios but it's certainly something that we're we're aware of and need to, to kind of educate on yeah yeah we we've seen the same thing over here too uh it's it's definitely an issue uh that that needs to be somehow managed but it's it's tough when you got a kid that goes home and sits on his phone or the tv for hours and hours and hours but um, speaking of social media, uh, I do yeah. want to give you the opportunity to kind of let our listeners know um, how to reach you, whether that be through sure. Facebook, Twitter, and then also I know Performance has a couple events coming up. I want to give you some time to tell the listeners about those as well. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, I mean, my if people want to get in touch with me on Twitter, it's, it's uh, at Performance Team, um, and then you know, if people want to drop me 
drop me an email my email's on on our website it's and the website is www.proformance.pro and I'm happy to, to kind of chat around any of the any of the kind of topics that we've talked about and you know many other more focused areas of training if people have got ideas to discuss I'm, I'm always keen to you know hear 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 different ideas um, in terms of what we've got coming up we've got a couple of great events which I'm you know, really really looking forward to obviously a big focus with with the, the long-term athlete development side of things that we run at school and um, we're through performance Mike and I are, are running the Charter Champion Conference which is running on the weekend of the 7th to the 9th of April uh, it's actually at the school in, in Gloucester St Peter's um, we've got a really great group of coaches coming together to, to share ideas around there with guys from the, the Premier League and you know, we've got Alex Natira coming over from um, the Aspire Academy in Qatar uh, Mike's over from, from the States we've got Des Ryan who works at Arsenal Football Club James McCarran who's at Sunderland and um, a host of a host of great guys that are coming together to, to share on some some hopefully a, a really productive weekend and then obviously I think we're back out with uh, you guys at, at Athletic Lab then in at the start of June and I know Mike we haven't really announced the, the lineup yet so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that to Mike but uh, I know I'm I'm certainly really excited by what he's uh, what he's pulled together there I think um, I think it's going to be uh, going to be pretty phenomenal, and no, I'll be I'll be back over for that one to to catch up and and see see and all see all those talks myself. Yeah, I've uh, I've I've spoke with Mike about it a little bit, and uh, well, I don't want to say names because I I don't know for sure if they are coming, but if yeah. they if the yeah. names. If the names that I've heard are coming, it's going to be a really fantastic conference. So I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, for well, <laughs> well, thanks, James. I, I appreciate your time again, and uh, yeah. we'll catch up later. Yeah, cheers, John. All right, thanks. thanks very much again for the invite. Of course.